Well, it is a joy and a privilege to be outside and together this morning. If you are new or visiting or just uh, casually glancing in, uh, we are New Hope Free Methodist Church, and we welcome you this morning. Um, it's hard to welcome you to a space that isn't necessarily our own, but uh, welcome this morning. Yeah, it's a great, great morning, isn't it? Beautiful? My name is uh, Scott Siddig. I serve as the lead pastor for New Hope, and uh, I'm excited to bring you something a little different this morning. It's going to be a little bit more like uh, a dramatic reading this morning. You're going to hear some things that are spoken that sound like the individual is saying them themselves. But they're not saying them on their own behalf. They're actually speaking words that we think one of the Bible characters might be thinking. So, for instance, I'm going to introduce you this morning to Moses. Anybody ever met Moses? <laughs> and if you haven't met Moses, it's going to sound like Moses is talking, but the reality is, um, or it's going to sound like maybe uh, the person here is talking, but it's actually... Uh, words that we think Moses might have been thinking as God called him to lead this morning. We've done this before and it's gotten kind of confusing. A couple of years ago, I think we had Kate reading some words about Mary, and she said something about she was pregnant, and everybody got nervous that Kate was pregnant. Yeah, no, Kate was not pregnant. She was just talking about what she thought Mary might have been thinking at that moment. And that's what we're going to do today. So don't be confused if you hear that kind of thing. All right? The reason we're introducing you to some Bible characters today is to continue thinking about our sermon series. At New Hope, over the summer, we've been doing a sermon series called Letters to Leaders. We've 
We've been looking at someone named the Apostle Paul and his letters that he wrote to a young disciple, a young person named Timothy, and then another person named Titus. These were letters that were written because Timothy was pastoring a new church and he was running into some struggles. He was leading all kinds of people that were a little bit thinking about God and thinking about the church in different ways. And so in his struggle, Paul writes some letters to him and also to another man named Titus to help clarify what we believe and how to pastor that church. It was a letter written to a leader or leaders. And early in the sermon series, I urged you all to not think that leaders are only people like pastors or bishops or superintendents. The reality is, is that when you become a Christian, you become a form of a leader in the Christian movement. And so much of what is written in the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus can also be applied to ourselves. And so over the summer, we've been looking at ways that we are also called to be leaders in this movement uh, of becoming like Christ and spreading the Christian word, gospel. After that first sermon, uh, our worship leader, Andrew, got inspired to think about different characters in the Bible that were also called to be leaders. And as he looked at the different leaders uh, throughout the Bible, he found and noticed, and maybe many of you have noticed as well, that many of those leaders were not always excited to do what God called them to do. In fact, some of those leaders decided that they weren't even qualified to do what God had called them to do. And some of those leaders wanted to pass it off and say, you go, somebody else can do it, not me. And the reason that was interesting to him and to me and to us is that sometimes that's how you and I think about God's calling on our lives. Either we're not qualified, or maybe somebody else would be better, not me. 
rero tubitekereje usanga twese niko bimeze hari imyanya ibiri hari hari gihe imana ishaka dukora ariko tukibwira ko ntago tubishoboye and so today we're going to share a few of those stories in a way that maybe you might hear yourself in the story and maybe you might have an opportunity to think about your own calling in a different way. So we're going to introduce you to some Bible characters. And then you're going to hear some scripture, some Bible verses that explain what God's response was to their hesitancies or reservations. And then Moses to come forward. Moses, come forward. Good morning, Moses. Good morning. <laughs> morning. Isn't there someone else, Lord? Surely you don't mean me. I'm a wreck. I can't go back there. I gave that all up. My people won't listen to me. Pharaoh won't listen to me. They will laugh when I say I have a message from God. What about my family? What about my life here? I got out. Why should I go back in? When they see me, they will kill me. I bet they don't even want to get out. They've been that way for so long, it's a part of their culture. They're almost to blame for their condition as Pharaoh is. He'll never let them go anyway. And if he does, where will they go? This is too hard. I have a problem with speaking. What could I possibly have to offer? The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Let me introduce you now to Jonah. 
Jonah, a prophet of the Lord. It's not I, Lord. I won't go, Lord. I've heard you calling in the night, but I must have heard wrong. You can't possibly want to save them. I won't stand for it. Nineveh disgusts me. They're so far gone, nothing I say will change anything. I'm sure there are plenty of prophets in Nineveh already. How would I get there anyway? I just can't fit it into my plans right now. I'll never get home. I'm just not ready yet. If I go somewhere else, maybe God will just leave me alone. He knows I'm worthless anyway. Don't look to me for answers. I'm a bad omen. Better not get too close to me. My life is over. My plans are garbage. This is all a waste of time. I'm not the one. That calling's not for me. Someone else will have to do it. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I'd like to invite Martha. Martha, would you come forward this morning? The teacher is here. He's calling for you, Mary. Yes, the message got there in time. No, he wasn't busy. He waited three days while our brother was dying. John said that he waited for a purpose, that the sickness was for God's glory. I don't see how he gets off saying something like that. He might as well just said, well, everything happens for a reason. What reason could be in Lazarus dying in the prime of his life? What glory is there in a young man's grave? If he would have told me he was planning on doing a miracle, then I wouldn't have gone to all the trouble of planning this whole funeral. I thought that Lazarus was his good friend. Remember that Mark liked to tell that story about the centurion coming and then his sick boy was healed just because he asked Jesus? Well, where was that long-range healing power when somebody who really mattered to him had been sick? You know, it's, it's not that I'm giving up on him. We were there and saw plainly 
when he cast out those demons and gave those suffering people back their lives. He sees these people that everyone thinks are worthless, and he calls them to follow him, just like David recruiting his mighty men of Israel. And before long, the loaves are multiplying in their hands, and evil spirits are trembling at their voice. When we're with him at the table, I feel like I'm part of something bigger than me that will never end. He radiates life. It just comes out of him. So where was he? Didn't he know how much this would hurt? As I was wrapping him with the cloth, his cold body, the thought just kept coming to me. He knew this was going to happen. He let this happen. God would do whatever he says. And he said nothing. And now, it can't be undone. This poor body has been in the grave for three days. I suppose I was foolish to hope for anything else. This is how the world is. Maybe we should have waited for somebody else. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe you see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the people standing here so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, wake up. The dead man woke up. The dead man came out. His hand and feet were wrapped with stripes of linen, with a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take away the grave cloth and let him go. Therefore, all the Jews that were there to visit Mary, after they've seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the very first on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, but when they entered it, they did not find the, the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, 
Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and the, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. going to hear now from the perspective of some Jewish Christians in the early church and their perspective on the young man named Saul. Some of you only know him as Paul, but before he was Paul, he was Saul, a persecutor of the Christians. So I'd like to invite a representative of the Jewish Christians this morning. Him? Surely not him. Isn't he the one who was trying to kill us? There's no way this is for real. He's, he's deceiving us. Why does he think he can tell us Jews what to do? His authority of his, is of his own imagining. God doesn't speak for him to him. He's in it for himself. He thinks he's so great. Everyone can see how weak he is. He doesn't do things like, the, like us. I thought... I thought he was a Pharisee. Why is he breaking all our rules? We're following these laws because it's who we are, not because we think we have to. And why does he want us to include them? If we include them, it'll be on our own terms. They need to know our codes of conduct before they can join us. Why would God anoint them? What do we have to learn from them? They'll never have all the background knowledge that we have. They will never lead us better to lose a dozen of them than to upset one of us. They can go to their own church, do things their way. And what makes him so sure he can speak their language? Why would they even listen to him? They haven't listened to us. I guess we haven't really reached out to them, but still, I don't think they'd listen if we tried. I think, I think one time we did try, and it didn't work. What if they take us over? What if we lose track of the gospel? Is this really what Christ wants us to do? If they're having those kinds of problems, it's probably not even worth trying to help them. You know, we were doing just fine before he came along. Isn't there someone else we should be ministering to? On the Sabbath, Paul and his companions entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue leaders sent word to them, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul 
motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. We proclaim to you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. As the word of God spread, it wasn't just a message for the Jewish Christians, however. It was a message that went to the Gentiles or the non-Jews, that is, you and I. And so I'd like to invite a representative of us, of the Gentile Christians, to share their perspective on Paul this morning. What does he think he knows about us Gentiles? Isn't he a Pharisee? I can't understand him anyway. He's too much for me. He's not on my wavelength. He talks too much. He tries too hard. It's always the same thing with him. Why should we give money to help the church in Jerusalem when the Jews clearly don't trust us? What do they know about our culture? He thinks he knows how we should live. He should stick to the basics. He should leave well enough alone. Our neighbors are suspicious of us already. I don't think God really cares that much about what we do in the privacy of our homes. That's just a social custom anyway. It doesn't really mean anything. Aren't there many paths to truth? I do agree with him, but I'd rather not have to go around telling everyone. I don't want people to see us as judgmental. He's turning my family against me. He's going to get us killed. Like little Timothy can help us, we were better off with Apollos. There must be someone else, Lord. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. 
Many who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This same Paul later wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And in the early part of that letter, he says this, Brothers and sisters, think, think for a minute. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. For as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with fear and great trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Amen. I pray that maybe you saw yourself in one of those stories. And if you did, I would encourage you to go back and reread it, put it in a little bit more context. Maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is encouraging you, letting you know that it's not about your wisdom, it's not about your strength, it's not about how you feel about yourself. It's about how he sees you. It's about who you are in him because of who he is and what he's done in you. And the opportunity that we all have to serve him, the opportunity that we all have to live a life that demonstrates his love for the world that he created. 
to be partners with him, to fulfill the joyous calling of sharing the good news, the testimony about God, as Paul says. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. You are called to be a part of this great movement, the Christian movement. You are called to live a holy life and to love others as you love yourselves. You are called to build the culture around you. You are called to participate in redeeming this world. It's a grand calling, and it's a great opportunity, and each and every one of us is invited to be a part of it. You are a leader. Whether you want to be or not, God is inviting you to be a leader today. And so I pray, and I will pray in just a minute, that you hear his voice. And today, as scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But listen, live into it. Receive his love and his grace and his mercy in your life today. Let's close in prayer. Amen. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as the breezes blow, as the waves crash, as the sun beats down, as the sounds of nature and people mingle together, and as we sit and take it all in, Lord, we are reminded today that all of this is yours, that we are yours. We are reminded today that it's not about our feelings and our emotions, it's not about what we think of ourselves, but Lord, it is about who you have called us to be, and, and it's about reframing our identity in Christ, in, in you. For you have called us to be unique and special, and you have given us a purpose, a purpose to bring glory and honor to your name, and you've given us gifts and talents and abilities to do just that. And you've given us relationships to do it together with those we don't know and, and want to know better and those we know well. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the way you set it all up, and we thank you for your, the way that you keep it all in motion. For in you alone we live and we move and we have our being. It is only because of you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, Lord, as we have just taken a few minutes to remind ourselves of your goodness and of the calling that you've given to each of us and Lord, I just pray that that thought will linger with us throughout our time together today and into the weeks ahead. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter who we encounter, whether it's at school or work or at home or in the grocery store or in the park or on the playground, Lord, no, no matter where, may we represent you and may we give you glory and give you honor and praise. Let us resolve in our own hearts to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You are our wisdom. 
You are our holiness. You are our righteousness. You are our redemption. And may we hold on to that. May we hold on to it, Lord. I thank you for the beauty of this place. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.